Well, good morning. My name is Mark Lang, and I am a counselor at Agape Counseling and Training Center. And it's a local company, and so we have several local counselors uh, that, are, that are Christian counselors that we've been training. Um, we've also, Kathy and I have been here about 13 years, but for CCC, we've been here for just about a year and a half. So it's great to be here and to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, let's open up with prayer. Dear Father, I just want to invite you now into this message part of our, our worship and our focus on you. We pray that you would be here in our presence, that it would be your words and, and your thoughts that come into our hearts and our minds, and that, uh, Father, that you would give us what we need for this week, uh, particularly for this day as we uh, step back out into our world. Uh, we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, well, a few weeks ago, we finished a series of sermons in the book of Galatians. Uh, one of the focal points for me was that battle between my flesh and the Holy Spirit. Um, the Galatians 5.1 there, uh, For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then a little bit later in uh, verse 17, And the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Well, last week, John spoke about the use of our time. Some of you remember how poignant that was to us and how we use our time. And as I combine this with Galatians, I find that my flesh really doesn't like to spend time the way God desires for me to spend my time. Um, it seems that somewhere in my childhood, early on, I was taught about the five senses, right? You probably, at an early time, I don't know if you can read that or not, but we'll go over this, this five senses, sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell. Okay, these are the senses that obtain information of our physical world. It brings it into our brain and kind of transforms it into our thinking, our emotions, um, and our actions. You're going to see that this is very much a kind of a counseling kind of message. <laughs> All right. Well, as these senses obtain this data, it's, it's connecting me, my flesh, with the physical world. You know, we can lose a couple of these and still live life in this physical world, but if we lose them all, we're completely disconnected. So, if my five senses connect me to the physical world, what are the senses that connect my spirit to the spiritual world? How do I sense God? Well, I look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith is a sense of my spirit, along with love and hope. These three may connect with my five physical world senses, but often they operate separately. Uh, oftentimes in opposition. If we look at uh, Matthew 5.44, it says, 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I have to tell you that my flesh isn't very excited about loving people that are in my face enemies, right? Does your flesh like that? It just, I, I, I have other things that my flesh wants to do with my enemies. And pray for those who persecute me? Hmm. I guess I can kind of be like David, maybe in the Psalms, where he says, don't you see my enemies? Crush them, kill them. Uh, but David seems to like, you know, after he gets that emotion out, he kind of comes to that place and goes, but you are my God, you are my rock, you are my shield. And so even his prayers in that way kind of come to this place where his spirit is connecting with God's spirit and begins to kind of see and, and think about and do things differently than what his flesh might want to do. Uh, if we look at 1 Timothy 4.10, it says, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So here's this hope sense. And when I think of my flesh, the, the striving, the, the labor that I do, my flesh is like, yeah, that's for a good meal. Like after church, we am going to go eat something really nice. Uh, it's, it's for clothing to kind of keep me warm. It's for material things. That's what my flesh wants to work for. But God is directing us to our spirit. And as we fix our hope in him, it takes us to a different place. These things of the flesh, they mean less. And we find that there's something more to life than just the material possessions. Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This morning, I want to focus on faith, the sense of faith. And to do that, I want to look at the lives of Joseph and Mary. Now, if you remember the last time I spoke to you, I told you I was an introvert. And so I do this thing that's, that's kind of like a, an introvert role play. Okay, that's where you do it all inside. You don't stand up. You don't say anything. It's all inside. So I'm going to encourage you again to role play. In your minds, I'm going to give you a role. and I'm going to encourage you to put yourself in that person's shoes. What is it like to experience what they're going through? And so, women of the church, you are now Mary. Okay? Not Mother Mary yet. You're just Mary. Okay? About 15 years old, as the pastor shared. You are pledged. You are betrothed. And, and what this means is that the marriage contract, the, the ketubah, has been signed. It's a legal document. You are legally married. Right? But you're in this waiting period. You remember the parable of Jesus where he talks about the, the, the brides who were getting ready to be married and some of them had their oil and some of them didn't have their oil? Well, that's what you're doing. You have your oil. You have your few possessions that uh, are going to go with you as you leave your family and you go to your husband's family. You're, you're ready, you're prepared, you're waiting. Okay? This waiting period typically would be about a year. And so you're still kind of hanging out at home, 
doing the chores, helping out with family. We know, we, we, we know that with what was it, Jacob and Rachel that that period lasted seven years. Uh, I guess he didn't have the marriage payment maybe, and so he worked for uh, his future father-in-law, or actually the contract had been signed, his father-in-law for seven years to make that marriage payment uh, so that he could have Rachel and bring her to his family. So, Mary, you're pledged to Joseph. And there's some good news about this because he's a righteous man. Okay? So this is a good thing. And so you're just kind of living your life day by day, waiting for him to come day or night to pick you up. And then one day, one day you see with your eyes, you hear with your ears, the angel of God is in your presence. Some of the words that he spoke to you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, now I'm... Let's leave it there for a minute. (laughs) There we go. All right. Sorry. Lost our whole moment here, didn't we? All right, so... Here you are. The angel is in your presence. And he's told you, you are going to bear God's child. So how do you feel? What emotions are you experiencing? Dismay. Anybody surprised? Anybody excited? Huh? How many of you are afraid? Are you confused? Yeah, your, your thinking process are going like, uh, I don't understand. And this actually was a clarification to her question, but I'm a virgin. What? How can this happen? Yeah, this is not how mom said it would happen. That's for, that's for sure. Right? Are you trembling? In his presence, are you kind of of shaking? Or is there a peace inside of you? I don't know. Never, never before in your life have you ever experienced something like this. In fact, nobody that you have ever met has ever experienced something like this. This is going to be one of those moments that will last the rest of your life. It's going to be imprinted on your in your in your thinking and in your heart in your spirit this is with you it's powerful and then the angel left you and you go back to oh i've got some chores i got to finish up i need to help mom and dad maybe with the siblings and you're back to your real life how do you bring this event into your real life Do you go talk to mom? Dad? Ooh, Joseph? Imagine yourself, 15 years old, you go to mom. Hey, mom, 
um, earlier today, an angel came. And, well, I'm now carrying God's child. Yay? And, Dad, that's a whole other story. I'm telling you, as a father, that is not going to be a good reaction. In your culture, in this Jewish culture, you could be stoned to death for this. Literally. You could die. The more that they see that you're pregnant and the more that they see, this is not Joseph's child, you could be stoned. At the very least, your family is going to be shunned. They'll be shamed. They'll be set apart from the other righteous people. And so maybe your father would send you off, put you out of the family, so that maybe he could save some of, the other, of his other children, that they might have the possibility of a, of a good life, because yours is lost. Faith in God doesn't always lead to easy life experiences. The angel's gone. Do you feel helpless? Do you feel alone? Are you scared? It seems like the angel gave you an option, though. Your relative is also pregnant. So Luke... um, Chapter 1, verse 36, the angel says to you, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. That's kind of an interesting statement. Why did the angel say that? I mean, was he like trying to, you know, bolster Mary's uh, confidence that this could actually happen? Hey, you know... Your old aunt, she who thought wouldn't be able to be pregnant, she's pregnant. So if she can get pregnant, well, you know, a virgin, by God, surely. I don't think he said that for that reason. I don't think he brought that in. Here's what I think. Faith in God is certainly strengthened by fellowship. Especially with other believers. Your mom isn't going to believe you. Your dad's not going to believe you. Joseph's not going to believe you. The community's not going to believe what has happened to you. Verse 39 and 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. You know what? Elizabeth can relate. You know, this may have been a hurried trip for Mary, but it's about 90 miles. So this is about a week's worth of travel just to get to to see Elizabeth. But but she's there, and she spends about three months there. Uh, In verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This would have been probably enough time that she could actually see Elizabeth, her old relative, 
have a child and see the physical evidence of John the Baptist there and be around somebody that she could open up to and share. Here's what's going on. I'm scared. I don't know how to deal with this. First time mom, what do you do? I mean, she had somebody that could connect with her, that would believe her. And Zachariah was there. And although he couldn't speak, I'm sure he was going, yeah, I saw an angel too. You know, wouldn't that be kind of cool to like be fellowshipping, being with someone that had had a similar experience? Yeah, I think these three months were to help Mary become affirmed and encouraged. Because at the end of those three months, she still has to go back to her home, her mom, her dad, Joseph. But I think she returns home not so scared. Mary, you're not alone. All right, so Mary, I'm going to leave you here because I need to to go and, and talk with the men for a little bit, okay? Oops. Okay, so I lost my slides here. There's the one that, okay, now we're caught up. Sorry. All right, men, you're Joseph, okay? Joseph, uh, he's a young man. You're in your late teens, early 20s maybe. Is Wesley here? Wesley, how old are you? 17. Oh, that's kind of like the late teens, right? Huh. So some of us don't have to role play as more, it's not as difficult as for some of us, you know. He, it's around that age, maybe a little bit older. I'll say that for your parents' sake. All right. You're about, you're in your late teens, you're in your 20s, you're a faithful Jew. To the best of your ability, you follow the Holy Scriptures. You're a carpenter. You're beginning to become a carpenter. You work with your hands. You build things. You fix things for other people. When they need help, you're the guy that they go to or will become the guy that you go, they go to. You're kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You know how to use mortar and, and stone and, and wood. This is the beginning. You're about to step into your adult life. This is a pretty exciting time. You have greater responsibilities, but you also have greater opportunities. And you're betrothed to Mary. Hey? You're, you're, you're working to build the addition to your family's home so that when, when, when it's done, you can bring Mary home to your family and have a place to live with your family. You're working hard at that. It's an exciting time. If you took all of the exciting times in your life and you combine them together, I think probably Yangda, pretty close to this one event. This is, this is an exciting time in, in, in a guy's life. And not only that, but you know what? Later today, Mary, who's been gone for three months, is coming back. She's going to come over and talk to me, talk to you. I mean, you may be working today, 
but your head is in the clouds. I'm sure you've got a sore thumb from where you hammered it or the splinters where the, the wood maybe went in. You're just not able to concentrate quite so much. This, this is good. And then you did have that talk with Mary. And your whole world came crashing down. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now this is the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, how it came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary's pregnant. Mary's pregnant? Mary's pregnant? Oh, those three words, they're just pounding in your head. That's all you can hear, all you can think about right now. You know you're not the father. So what emotions are you experiencing? What are you thinking right now? Are you embarrassed? Are you afraid? Are you angry? I think confusion, again, would be a pretty strong thought that's going on inside of you. The lack of thought. Hmm? Feel betrayed? Yeah. Shock? Your life has been turned upside down. And as the shock kind of wears off, you begin to realize the ramifications of Mary being pregnant and you not being the father. There is unrighteousness here. Your trade, your reputation, your standing in the community of Nazareth, that is gone. No one's going to want you with your unrighteous hands now to fix their home, to build something for them. They don't want to bring that unrighteousness into their home. It's gone. As you ruminate about this, your best thinking as a righteous man leads you to the conclusion that you need to get a divorce. Matthew 1.19 Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You don't want to hurt her. But what else can you do? Maybe quietly divorce her. You know, not fight to get back the marital payment that has been given to her family. Just let her have that. Have a quiet divorce. And then what? How long is it going to be before you can find somebody else that will marry you? And how long are you going to have to work to build up that marriage payment again? You know, like Jacob, maybe, have to go work for somebody for years? And that's if you can find somebody that will marry you. Because even if you get this divorce, you're kind of tarnished. It's devastation. Matthew 1, 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Faith in God doesn't always lead to easy decisions. Joseph, he had no easy decision. But now that you've decided to go ahead and marry Mary, you have to face your family, you have to face your community. You're married to a pregnant woman and you're not the father. You could tell them, hey, this is God's child, but they're not going to believe you. You know, even your own five senses don't support you. The dream that you had, it was a dream. It wasn't physical, seeing an angel tell. It was a dream. You didn't even believe Mary when she told you that it was from the Holy Spirit. All you thought of was Mary is pregnant. The angel had said, Joseph, son of David. (laughs) You're not the son of David. Your dad's name is actually Jacob. What's the angel doing here? Why is he referring to 28 generations back where I have this connection? I mean, how many of you today can go past four generations? I know my father. I know my grandfather. I don't know my great-grandfather. I don't know where he grew up. But 28 generations. In that time, that's what they did, though. You knew where you came from. But why is the angel bringing this up? Faith in God sometimes leads us to unexpected new beginnings. There was a census going on, and people had to to go to their village, and they had to record the the number of people that there were and where they were located. If you had a, a, a family plot, a farm, or if you had a business, you would go to the nearest town and you would register yourself. But Joseph has no property. He has no business. He's free to go someplace else and register. I am. I am the son of David. I could go to Bethlehem. When Mary went to visit uh, Elizabeth, she may have actually gone through Bethlehem to get to the the hill country of Judea. And so that might have been fresh in in their minds. I don't know what the the real thinking was there, but there's some kind of connection going on. And so you, Mary, and you, Joseph, you go to Bethlehem. You deliver Jesus. You go through that cleansing period of seven days, and then on the eighth day, you take him to Jerusalem. It was, I think, about six miles away, and you you had him circumcised in the temple there. And then you go back to Bethlehem because Mary still has 33 more days of purification to go through. 
And during the time that you're in Bethlehem, you're kind of wondering, okay, what are we going to do? I, mean, I would, If I were Joseph, wouldn't you be thinking, okay, are we going to set up shop here? Or do I have to work for somebody in order to raise enough to where we could then get started? As they're thinking and pondering these things, three wise men come. And you know what they do? They come before your baby, before Jesus, and they bow down. You know, what an amazing gift. I mean, I know that we think about the gold and the myrrh and the incense, and it's like, wow, that's a treasure, man. <laughs> We've got some good stuff. But can you imagine having your child and having no family, no family s- celebration around you? But God brings these three people in. And they affirm you. They, they worship, they bow down to your, your child. The shepherds from the field come in. So there's this kind of encouragement, this affirmation that's going on. But then there's also King Herod, right? From the wise men, you find out that King Herod wants to, to come and visit you as well. And in the night, God says, you need to pick up and leave. And so in the middle of the night, you take your baby and you go. You go to Egypt. I can't imagine what that kind of trip would be. I mean, even during the day, but during the night, that would have been a little bit difficult. So you go to Egypt until King Herod dies, which I think was somewhere around six months from what I can gather. And God calls you back to Israel. Israel, okay? Big place, <laughs> okay? There's a lot, of, a lot of different places that you could go, a lot of different cities in Israel that you could go to. But probably Judea, that's where you registered, maybe back to Bethlehem or go back and see Elizabeth. But on your way, you enter Israel and you find out that King Herod's son is now the ruler of Judea. And so it's like, well, Judea is not a good place to go to right now. And so they go back to Nazareth. Well, this is kind of the last that we hear of you, Joseph. You became a carpenter. You and Mary had several more children. The rest of your days seem to be about living out your trade, raising your children. Did he ever see the results of his faith? The angel told him, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he saw that result. He lived his life faithfully without seeing the results. We hear a little bit more about you, Mary. Did she get to see the results? Can you imagine yourself? Please do. You're Mary. Now you're 33 years later, right? You've been raising Jesus, your other children. You've been faithfully following God. And at that 33-year mark, what would it have been like To see your child nailed to the sinner's cross and then hung there 
cursed, hurt, bleeding. And the last words you hear your child speak are, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Horror, intense agony, devastation. Can you hear her say, but the angel told me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. I did. And you were to call him Jesus. I did. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Faith in him doesn't mean that you get to see the results. We know more of the story. We know that the angel's words were true and that we, nearly 2,000 years later, are benefiting from the faith of Joseph and Mary. Faith in Joseph and Mary's time has some strong similarities to faith in our time. It doesn't always lead to easy life experiences. It is strengthened by fellowship. It doesn't always lead to easy decisions. And sometimes it leads us to unexpected new beginnings. And it doesn't mean that we get to see the results. Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. Joseph and Mary, they lost their lives for Jesus. And in those years of faith-led, struggle-filled living, they saved it for eternity. Often we don't know the impact God is having through us, through our lives, in our relationships. Often he keeps that away from our awareness. Will you continue to follow him? without knowing the outcome, without knowing the impact of your sacrifice? Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father, uh, this morning we get just a little taste of 
maybe some of the emotions and thoughts that Joseph and Mary went through. I pray that as they went against their flesh, as they followed you faithfully, that you too would give us the the strength and the courage to follow you when experiences are difficult, when choices are difficult, and when we don't see the results. Father, thank you for this fellowship, this time of worship, just that we have the opportunity to come step, in a sense, out of our lives for a short while, to be with you in the midst of other believers, to worship, to praise you, and to receive from you. Help us to take the next step in going out today. And pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.